Hi, welcome to the Emotional Stuff Podcast, hosted by Dr. Marcus Motley, clinical psychologist and positive psychology coach. Here you'll get powerful stories, techniques, strategies, tips, and targeted recommendations on how to effectively deal with anger, sadness, grief, anxiety, jealousy, fear, and other minor, major, intensely difficult, and disempowering emotions. Listen to the Emotional Stuff Podcast, read our blog, and begin to heal your hurt, manage your emotions, deal effectively with difficult people, handle stress better, and fully empower yourself to change and grow in the ways that you really want to. Dr. Motley helps you to remove the emotional chains that are shackling you. Hello, this is Marcus Motley with another episode of the Emotional Stuff Podcast. This is a show where we discuss the best tips, techniques, and strategies on how to deal with your emotional stuff. We talk about how not to let your emotional stuff derail you or deter you or put you on a detour from your destiny or weaken your resolve to maximize your potential. And most importantly, we talk about how to use your emotions to empower yourself, to connect with others, to make positive changes, and to get what you deeply desire from your life. Today's episode is entitled Moving from Emotional Intelligence to Emotional Competence. And today I'm going to go a little deeper than I normally do in these podcasts. There are a few subtleties that I would like to differentiate, and your understanding these will make a huge difference in the degree to which you find this podcast useful. Let's start by asking the question, what is emotional intelligence? Well, two researchers, Peter Salovey and John Mayer, are credited with coining the phrase emotional intelligence. However, Daniel Goleman is credited with bringing the term into the lexicon of the general public and popularizing it. Importantly, however, prior to the articulation of their observations and theories, thousands of managers, supervisors, and others within the world of work had already defined the constellation of skills on the emotional intelligence as people skills. Daniel Goleman refers to emotional intelligence as the capacity for recognizing our own feelings and the feelings of others, the capacity for motivating ourselves and for managing emotions well in ourselves and in our relationships. And so things like motivation, awareness of and managing our feelings, developing effective interpersonal relationships, the ability to effectively express ourselves and express our emotions, and enhancing our empathy for others are all domains within the construct and context of emotional intelligence. So why am I saying that we should shift from emotional intelligence to emotional competence. Well, the core proposition of this podcast is that we should make the shift from using the term emotional intelligence to the term emotional competence. When we link the word intelligence to the word emotional, in my mind there is an obvious conflict of terminology. The word intelligence is linked to the word intellect. And together, they are generally defined as the ability to work mentally or cognitively. It involves mentally solving problems. 
It involves abstract thinking, mathematical ability, doing analysis, reasoning, critical thinking, and cognitive processing skills. In other words, intelligence involves the conscious use of the brain. Furthermore, human intelligence is usually measured by an intelligence quotient, or IQ, which is derived from a standardized test. The test measures a person's cognitive ability and their capacity to learn compared to the population at large. The average IQ is said to be 100. Anything above 130 is considered exceptionally smart, while a score under 70 is placed in a category where the individual is said to have a developmental delay related to intelligence. Important to this discussion is the fact that it is broadly accepted that IQ is fixed for life and thus very rarely changes. Hence, this is one reason that I think that the term emotional intelligence is a significant misnomer and at least misconstrues the accepted understanding of the concept related to definitions that theorists, researchers, and other experts have applied to emotional intelligence. Let us talk about emotions for a minute. So, what are they? What are emotions? An emotion is described as a form of physiological response which regulates many aspects of our lives. An emotion is said to be expressed largely through the body, such as posture, facial expressions, actions, and behaviors, as well as through internal processes such as heart rate and blood pressure. In other words, when you get excited, your blood pressure goes up. So I think it is important to repeat that an emotion is a physiological response of the body. It is not a mental response. It is not a thought, and it is certainly not a cognitive response. Now, it may be related to a cognitive response, but it is not the cognitive response itself. Emotions are the physiological responses that are related to our external expressions, such as the smiling on my face, or the tightening or raising of my brows when irritated or confused, or the changes in my body posture that accompany shock or surprise. And, you know, so it's clear that the emotion is the response of the body to some kind of stimuli or event. For example, you just saw your team win the FIFA World Cup. So you smile, you laugh, you shout for joy, or, you know, you show your happiness. Those physiological responses to the good news are called emotions. And these can be seen on the outside and are measured on the inside. Why do I say measured on the inside? Well, you know, your heart rate increases and your pulse quickens when you get excited or when you get happy, and those can be measured. And importantly, at least for the purposes of this discussion, in this podcast, an emotion must be distinguished from a feeling. So what are feelings? Feelings are described as our conscious perception of the subtle internal changes that we sense or feel happening in the body and which we demonstrate or show 
consciously or unconsciously, on the outside as emotions. So again, feelings happen on the inside. Those are the things that we, we sense happening at the physiological level on the inside of our bodies. And we demonstrate that awareness on the outside as emotions. So one might say that um, when my friend's team won the World Cup, I could see that the person was happy. And I could say that because of the behaviors or, or actions by the individual, they were smiling and the kinds of things that they were saying um, gave me some clues that they, um, that they were happy. And happy was the emotion on the outside. The internal feeling of happiness is displayed on the outside as an expressed emotion. So whatever they were feeling on the inside was expressed on the outside and I named it being happy because I saw smiles and laughter and so forth. The individual might have gone from a state of anxiety during the game to a state of happiness at the end of the game. This internal state is a set of internal sensations or feelings that the person has which are sensed throughout the person's nervous system. It is theorized that these internal feelings or changes are hormonal, electrical, chemical, and or neurological in nature. And so we sense, we feel, and we become aware of these changes through our nervous system. And while sensing these neurological, biochemical, electrical, or hormonal changes, we may demonstrate on the outside a range of emotions, anxiety, fear, doubt, and finally happiness at the outcome of the game. Now, the brain which is deeply involved in this must be paid some attention to. See, the brain provides the cognitive intellectual recognition that is related to identifying and classifying the feeling on the inside. So the brain says, hmm, my, I'm nervous. I'm sad that my team is losing. It doesn't feel good to feel that way. But I believe we're going to win. I'm sad right now, anxious right now, but I'm optimistic. Now that's the brain talking about the number of different feelings that are running through the body, of which the brain is a part. So the brain puts names to the feelings, sad but hopeful and optimistic, and then I'm happy. Let's talk a bit about the state, because I mentioned that a while ago. Now, I have a theory that there is something else that we should pay some attention to. I believe that the connection of a thought, a feeling, and an emotion is something that I want to call the state. That's what I'm referring to when I say the state. So someone calls you a dirty name. You hear what they say and how they say it, and then you mentally interpret that as an offensive verbal attack on you. After that thought in your head of, what did he say? Oh, no, he didn't go there. That 
then in nanoseconds triggers a neurological biochemical response which is the feeling on the inside and that triggers an emotion which we may identify as anger which we show on the outside and that may trigger a behavioral response maybe just an angry verbal response and hopefully not much more than that but that that time your whole mind body and behavior is in well in a state now the only thing that can get you in serious trouble here is the behavior that accompanies that feeling of anger or rage depending on what the person said and how you mentally interpreted it so it's the behavior we are really concerned about and the best way to change and adjust that behavior is at the thing that preceded the behavior. And what is that? Well, it's the emotion. Which emotion? The emotion of anger or rage that resulted from the feeling that you had on the inside. As a matter of fact, psychology is largely a field which studies thoughts. And we call that cognitive psychology. It studies emotions, which we call emotive psychology, which is less well-known and less talked about. And psychologists also look at behaviors, and they call that behavioral psychology. Now, some psychologists have even put some of these together. Hence, we have cognitive behavioral therapy and rational emotive therapy and dialectical behavior therapy, and there are many more. And so, as you can see, what we're really uh, concerned about uh, is, is not the feeling, is not the thought, and it's, it's the behavior. And we're concerned about the thing that drives the behavior. And for the most part, that thing happens to be the emotion that precedes the behavior. Hence, the importance of emotional competence. Our concern here is with the emotional part of our response, not the cognitive, not the behavioral, because we can adjust the behavior by adjusting the emotions. Our concern is not with the feelings, since these are, to a large measure, not directly under our control, because these are biochemical, neurochemical, and neurophysiological responses. What is directly under our control is how we demonstrate what we feel, in other words, the connection between the emotion and the behavior. So when our soccer-loving friend is anxious, he or she just doesn't have to behave anxiously. In other words, no biting of the lips, no biting of fingernails, no twitching of the hands, no sighing, no screaming, because all of these things can be under his control. Although he might be aware of his internal sensations, how he feels on the inside, his outward demeanor, could be one of calm and self-control, or he can choose to demonstrate that he's hopeful and optimistic. So his emotions are under his full control, while his, while his feelings, those internal sens sensations, are less so. The word competence, according to several dictionaries, suggests capability, efficiency, proficiency, expertise, or mastery. In other words, competency is related to skill and ability to do something well. 
Therefore, emotional competency is the ability to skillfully manage our emotions. Furthermore, in this context, it is also the skill to be deeply aware, aware of our emotions, to be deeply aware of the emotions of others, and to have the ability to change or influence both our own emotions and those of other people. My definition of emotional competence is a simple one. It is the level of skill and ability with which one handles their emotions. I know that many well-known and highly respected writers and researchers have penned their own definitions. In my opinion, they overstate and overdefine emotional competence. My simple definition covers all the bases and allows a second grader to understand it. The degree to which you manage your hurt, your disappointment, your frustration, your anger, your hate, your love and fear points to your level of emotional competence. You may be competent at effectively managing your irritation, but less so at dealing with personal hurt, for example. Even within the realms of the same emotion, your level of competence might differ. For example, you may be the world's most competent dad or mom at handling the daily irritations that arise from interacting with your children. You know, their phones, their schoolwork, their trying to sleep late, etc. But at work, you have no such expertise at dealing with the irritation that arises when you must deal with tardy employees or micromanaging supervisors or difficult customers. So emotional competence does not have to do with your awareness or knowledge of your emotions. That is in the realm of emotional intelligence. Let me say that again. Emotional competence does not have to do with your awareness or knowledge of your emotions. That is in the realm of emotional intelligence. However, emotional competence has to do with how you express those emotions. That is where the skill comes in. Let's split hairs for a minute on this issue. Your ability to explore, examine, unravel your emotions fall in the realm of competence. Once you have done that exploration and analysis, then the resulting understanding becomes your level of intelligence or awareness. I think that for too long, prominent researchers and writers have muddled the waters by lumping everything together and using the label of emotional intelligence to cover it all. The word intelligence from the word intellect ought to be applied narrowly and specifically to mean knowledge, understanding, awareness, comprehension, and discernment. Competence, on the other hand, means skill, proficiency, expertise, ability, capability, and adeptness. The difference between these two words can be simplified as the difference between two words, know and do. Awareness and application. Knowledge and action. So you may be fully aware of your tendency to get angry quickly and fly off the handle. You may even be keenly aware of the specific triggers that scratch the match which start your fiery outbursts. You may even be able to feel it coming on. That is emotional intelligence. Can you stop the fiery outbursts? which might lead you to smacking someone in the face? Can you channel that energy differently when you know you have been triggered, 
when you feel that you're getting hot under the collar, when you're acutely aware that you're about to do something very, very, very stupid? Can you stop yourself or reroute or rechannel that strong and rising heat? The skill to do this points to your level of competence. Let's talk for a minute about emotions and behaviors. The most important reason to focus on your emotions is because they are directly and inextricably linked to your behaviors. If you accept that emotions such as anger and frustration are partly external artifacts of how you feel on the inside, you may also consider that not only does your anger or frustration show, but that certain behaviors accompany those emotions. You may raise your voice, pound the conference table, slam the phone down, withdraw from a meeting, write a nasty email, or worse. Or, because of your anger, you may make very poor decisions on important projects which lead to organizational disaster. History is replete with thousands of leaders who made bad decisions and or behave inappropriately because of their uncontrolled and unchecked emotional responses to their internal feelings. So again, why shift from emotional intelligence to emotional competence? Very simply, because while emotional intelligence suggests something that is hard to change, emotional competence is totally within our control to adjust and improve on a continuum from poor to good to better and then to being very, very good. Another reason for shifting is that while Emotional intelligence has been articulated as being in the cognitive domain. Emotional competence is firmly placed in the area of skills or competencies. In other words, you can work on continuously improving in the emotional competence areas. Not only can you work on these skills, but you can quite easily measure your progress through online assessments or by getting feedback from your peers, direct reports, customers, managers, bosses, friends, and family members, or working directly with a coach like myself. This puts all of your efforts squarely under your control. It also means that you are totally responsible for the degrees of improvement that you achieve. You're not only responsible, but you are accountable to yourself for these improvements. This topic has become the focal point of my executive coaching as I work with leaders at all levels of organizations, board members, C-level executives such as CEOs, CIOs, CFOs, etc., senior managers and supervisory-level staff. Many of these leaders have risen to those high positions because of their intellect, because of how smart they are in financing, accounting, technology, business acumen, and world-class strategic and tactical skills in their fields. What they are not good at, what they have paid very little attention to during their rise to the top, and what many are not good at, is their emotional competence, the ability to motivate, the ability to persuade, influence, and connect with the people they lead, the ability to manage their emotions as they connect with people and use their people skills. They have poor skills in managing their emotions. For some, because they just have not had time to develop these skills, or for others, because they didn't think that kind of skill was important. They had progressed solely on their intellectual smarts. Well, the world has changed. With all of the different people movements, 
leaders at all levels, people at all levels, from the boardroom to the boiler room and to the bedroom, now have to pay attention to the ability to use their emotions competently. As an executive coach, a positive psychology coach, and as a clinical psychologist, my focus now is on helping leaders at all levels to ramp up, to maximize, to radically and quickly improve their levels of emotional competence. And to do that, I have developed some innovative, creative, and new techniques and tools so that leaders can empower themselves quickly and deeply so that they can make lasting changes in the way they function at work, in their community, and at home. I also give them the tools they need to help others change and empower themselves. So if you're interested, send me an email, a WhatsApp message, connect with me on my website, emotionalstuff.com, and I can give you much more information. Hi, thanks for listening to another episode of the Emotional Stuff Podcast, hosted by Dr. Marcus Motley. Listen, if you need private, personalized information, techniques, or strategies that are designed specifically to help you or a friend or a loved one, then please contact Dr. Motley at empowermeathotmail.com. That's M-P-O-W-E-R-M-E at hotmail.com. Or go to the website at emotionalstuff.com, emotional, S-H-T-U-F-F dot com, and leave a private comment or make a specific confidential request. Remember, you can always contact Dr. Motley for private and confidential coaching and counseling assistance.